A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you haven't caught up with us yet. That point would be through chapter seven. So if you've read chapter eight, you fucked up and you read too much. If you read chapter six, but not seven, you fucked up, you read too little. You can pause and rectify yourself, though, unlike the schmucks that read through chapter eight. But without further ado, Crossan's going to say, I'm cross or something like that. I can never remember what he says until, you know. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You can think of us as your drunk weekly book club. And drunk and weekly we are, aren't we? <clears throat> Mostly weekly. This is like this is like our fourth episode in the last week. In the last eight <laughs> days, we've recorded four episodes. So drunk, I think, is right. <laughs> and maybe more than weekly. Well, yeah, sometimes more than <laughs> weekly. Only on those weeks. Yeah, you know? only on the weeks where we've uh, finished a book and are starting a new one, which is exactly what we're doing right now. And I'm excited. Yeah. Because you fucker made me wait like a month before starting after that fucking cliffhanger of the end of the book of the second book i hate you for it and i never want to see your face again which is good because this is an audio medium (laughs) it does it does work well it does lend itself to the to the medium for sure that's uh perfect hilarious yeah no like you said we uh we're past golden sun at this point and we are now into morning star the third book in the red rising trilogy it's uh it's very exciting i'm very excited to uh to be here today today we are going to be talking about part one titled thorns just the first half we'll be tackling chapters one through seven as pj so eloquently mentioned in the beginning (laughs) if you read through eight you went too far even though it's only like two pages so you didn't go like that far but Mm. like too far uh but before we do that let's talk about what we're drinking what are uh what are you having i have a another drink from the classic cocktail bible which is the drink book that i got over christmas time ish thanksgiving time i don't know time is a thing that some people follow, but it's called El Diablo. It is. I, I kind of fucked with the recipe a little bit because I didn't want to re- I didn't want to do one and a quarter parts or three quarter parts of anything. So I just did one part lime juice, two parts tequila, a splashy poo of grenadine, a couple of chonky icy boys, a lime wedge all stirred together and then topped off with ginger ale. And then I, I, did a little flourish with a lime peel as a garnish over the, the rim of the glass. It's really fucking good. I'm very pleasantly surprised with how good this is. And I might take this over a, uh, a Moscow mule going forward. I like it that much. So I'm excited about it. What have you got? Hmm. Wait, what are you following this up with? Oh. Did you say Moscow mule? No. No, I was, no, I was like, what? <laughs> sorry. I was, I was thinking... I'm all over the place today. I was thinking uh, we'd go drink, drink, beer, beer, but that's not how we've ever done it. Uh, so I don't know why. But I'm bringing us back to uh, the roots of when Crossland lived here. One of our go-to beers was Dreamyard by Modest mm. Brewing Company. Today, I've got Double Dreamyard, which is their Excellent. kind of double dry hopped. 
I don't know if they do a regular version of Double Dream Yard, but this is Double Dry Hop, Double Dream Yard. So kind of an amped up version of one of their mainstays and one of our favorites, favorite go-tos. So that's what I've got. What about you, Crossland? I am having a mainstay of the podcast to some degree. I'm having a bourbon, old-fashioned, with uh, this bourbon that I picked up that I thought was going to be exceptional, just based on the label, the pricing, everything else. I was like, this has to be good, right, for like what I'm paying for. Man, I was super disappointed. I tried sipping it the other day, um, like just, you know, tried pouring myself a shot and just sipping on it. And honestly, I couldn't get through it. Hmm. And, you know, I went from this, I think this is going to be a sipping bourbon to this is definitely going to go in mixed drinks and oh, no. be a replacement for. Yeah, right. Oh, no. You spend like $54 on a bottle Oof. of bourbon. You're like, oh, no, I definitely want this to be good. And it was definitely not very good. Oh, man. It is a weird wine bourbon or not wine bourbon. Uh, it's a weird bourbon called Burned Chair that is finished in California cab barrels. And it totally wrecked the flavor profile. In oh, my opinion. Fuck. I, I have a hard time recommending it at all. But, you know, it makes a great old fashioned because I'm making cocktails out of it as opposed to just drinking it like a whiskey. Yeah. I mean, that's something, right? Yeah. Which is also fine, but that's also like a function of whiskey. So I'm not, not so upset, but I'm mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit bummed, but the drink is really good. The bourbon old fashioned is great. So yeah. yes, well, that's, that's good. That. At least, at least it has some redemptive qualities like alcohol and <laughs> being soluble in other liquids. Yes, yeah, that's very true. Classic <laughs> um, bourbon, old fashioned too, with a uh, bitters, orange twist, simple syrup, everything else. So nice, classic, normal, what you'd expect. Uh, and then I'm following that up with a Sycamore Brewing Company out of Charlotte, Sticky Crystals Hazy IPA. Pretty good, pretty tasty. I uh, I hadn't had it before. When's the last time either of us had something that wasn't a hazy IPA on the show? It's been a while. Didn't you recently have? Fun mom shoulders. No, no, that no, was, that, that was, was a different time. That was we were just podcast. chatting. Yeah. Yeah. That was off air yeah. last time. Well, I mean, I had fun, mom, fun mom shoulders. You I did. have a sour in the you fridge did. that I almost broke out, but I decided against it. Okay. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was maybe, pretty close though. I'll, how about the next couple weeks? No IPAs. Mix it up a little bit. Okay. I can, I can agree to break out of the bubble. Yep. All, All right. right. All right. Fine. Sorry. Continue uh, for everyone else. Fine. We're doing this for you. <laughs> and for ourselves i like um, other beer styles i just have a lot of ipas then like generally yeah this this is tasty it's exactly what you'd expect nothing more nothing less it's good that's what it is it's good well good since we're at the beginning of a new book we don't really have predictions outside of the massive death pool that pj has created <laughs> of which we have no victims this week so we uh, we won't be going over any predictions we do have some complications that we'll talk about later as well as next week's predictions so we're just going to go straight into the chapters is it is it really a death pool that i created if you only chose characters that were going to die well i chose all the characters Mm. almost all of them arguable arguable (laughs) i didn't create the characters you know all right so with that, we're <laughs> going to go into chapter one, only the dark, which is a, as the heading might suggest, a very dark chapter. It's pretty rough. It's pretty, uh, it, it came in very strange timing for me starting to read this book and what I had been watching on YouTube, which is the Mindfield episode of, or the episode of Mindfield where 
Michael from Vsauce, who hosts the show, puts himself into a room for three days straight with no sort of stimulus to tell him how much time has passed and how quickly just shit went sideways for him mentally. And dealing with that for nine months straight sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it's not only is it abysmal, and, and I think that that's actually probably a great access point for a lot of people to kind of understand actually seeing someone through some form of solitary confinement like that is just bonkers. And it's obviously inhumane as this entire, I think, the first three chapters just show kind of the lack of humanity that Gold Society has at, you know, effectively, I'd call it the highest level. I mean, at something like two and a half days, he woke up and had such a vivid dream of the experiment having ended that he was confused and actually like opened the door to the to the room to leave because he he was so convinced by his own memory like his own mind that he had already finished the experiment so you're telling me that he got out at two and a half days no he opened the door and then saw that there was still like people there and cameras rolling and just immediately closed the door Oh, so he was allowed to open the door. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like locked or anything. He wasn't like imprisoned. I feel like it should have been locked. Mm, I don't know. I think I think leaving and to like and ending the experiment is a valid thing to take take note of. Yeah, the actual like mental breaking point. Yeah, that's fair. Hmm. Interesting. So if you at home alone during quarantine feel like you're going insane understand that you too can watch michael from vsauce break a lot faster than you have by the end of by the like less than this was a jest less than the 40 hour mark i think Mm -hmm. he was convinced it was already the end of day three wow (laughs) yeah i mean with absolutely no stimuli in the form of time Mm -hmm. that's got to be a completely different nightmare altogether yeah so it's it's no doubt no joke that darrow here is having conversations with himself and the italics chat, which also could be the jackal and himself again in various stages. There are obvious moments where it feels like it is the jackal, but there are other moments where it's unclear if it is himself or not, you know? Right. I would think because he he said he was able to hear things from a distance, right? Right. So unless it was some sort of like implanted like earpiece or something feeding feeding vocals to him directly into his head Mm -hmm. i have i have a hard time believing he would think that somebody yelling into the the cement countertop or the marble countertop or whatever it is i think that would kind of be an external stimulus that would kind of jar him a little bit as opposed to strictly internal vocals but I, i don't know though like that's something completely un- unknown at this point, obviously. I mean, he was effectively just like floating, right? Like he wasn't truly floating, but he was effectively just in a box and did not know what was going on. And I think sound was coming at him from any and all sides. Potentially, he was never tortured with sound like Victor was. But I think that that was still a logical thing to like think about in that space is, you know, could he have been? being tortured could that be where jackal's voice was coming from in its own way like not just from the whispers from the table he heard those separate but part of these questions seem very aimed like the ones about family right are are very yeah i don't know they feel very pointed that's true that's a good point but it's also on his mind going into this 
So he's going to let his mind, like if, if the mind doesn't have anything else to do, it's just going to run, you know? Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair. True. I, I definitely agree with you. I think that it is regardless, this is a tough and dark section filled with very illustrative writing and language to show kind of the mentality and the torture that Darrow's going through at the time. It's um, it's a lot. Yeah. To say the least. Darrow's in this dark tank dungeon being fed through feeding tubes and, you know, having his excrement taken out via tubes as well. I think all the bodily functions and like the associated tubes is what freaks me out the most in the same way that the, the awakening from the matrix scene does with Keanu Reeves, Neo, when he wakes up in the pod, this reminds me of that to some degree, except for he's not waking up. He's just experiencing it live time yeah. constantly. This is not the first time that we're going to mention the Matrix in this episode. Like, <laughs> I, I have some talking points on the Matrix yeah. later on. Yeah, for sure. But I it just it reminds me of that in so many ways and kind of the, the way that he also like later is described as just smelling filthy and everything else. It just it fucks me up to think about that. And like this character that we've we've adored for so long being at. Well, he was at low points before, for sure, especially, you know, Golden Sun after Karnas beat the shit out of him and he was getting left by Augustus. Not like but this, like, though. Not like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is no longer no longer human. He is throughout this entire section being heavily dehumanized by the standard gold society mm-hmm. and everyone yeah. else with the yellow later on. Yeah. And, and the gray. Yep. And the gray. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's best just to say society is dehumanizing him. Yeah. How do you feel about this chapter in general? You know, in moments, just to summarize those thoughts, I got moments of both like Golem's state of mind as well as Frodo when he's captured by Shelob and poisoned. Yeah. Kind of those like, I don't know, jarring conversations with yourself. I think Golem more than anything. Right now, I'm to fill the void of the Red Rising saga. I've been listening to the Hobbit audiobook. Oh, nice. And in that, just the the way Golem speaks is so much more paranoid somehow than the movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I definitely got that sort of feeling off of that as well, along with the deformation of his joints. Yeah, I, I think that truly The Hobbit is kind of the first. Obviously, it's the first exploration of the character. But I agree with you. I think that it's far more deformed when you read it than just watch it. Yeah. In, in unless experience. unless you're talking about the 1970s animated film, in which case, right? In which case, it's he's about just a point. salamander. <laughs> yes, just a salamander. Maybe. But yes, Did we ever the vocal that conversation. Like, I no, don't I remember. We, we might have. Never mind. Okay, <laughs> but you're you're right. He definitely speaks a lot more um, close to the book in that than the Peter yeah. Jackson films. Yeah, and that connects directly with Darrow here, I think, because he is just this emaciated pale. We don't we don't see it until the next chapter, but he's a he's the worst version of himself. He's been unmade in the Jekyll's own words. I think that it pays off probably for us to just move into the next chapter and talk about chapter two, prisoner L seventeen L six three six three, which looking at it kind of looks like little baby, like little baby, you know, kind of. Kind yeah, of if I'm like reading between the lines. I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to see if that was intentional or if it's just a holdover from what his original name was from book one. I think it's, I think it's A and B. Um, it is a holdover for his original name, but his original number, I guess it's not his name. But what society branded him as, yes, because that was his hanging number. Mm-hmm. No, that that was that was before his hanging. 
That was what his name was on official records. Yes, right, right. Which, I mean, didn't change with the hanging. I just meant that, like, yeah. we still are following this whole time Darrow, a.k.a. L17L6363. I thought, I thought you meant that that was the, the number associated with his trial and hanging. Oh, no, 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 no. But I, I'm sure that they would also just use his... They don't want to create extra paperwork, you know, unnecessarily. So they'd probably just use his real ID as his identifier. Yes. Exactly. Real ID. Social security. Right. right. Same thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think there, there are a number of things that happen inside of this chapter. I think one of them is like the chapter heading. And like we've been saying this whole time, Darrow is dehumanized beyond just being a red and being this low color that infiltrated gold society. He is looked at as truly something different and horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is the abomination of, of science to some degree, right? They didn't like carvers can carve humans. Yes, sure. They've given them robotic limbs. They've replaced all kinds of things inside society, inside of the different colors. But you know, this sort of thing of transforming someone into something else, a great later also calls it rebirth to some degree, which I think is interesting and fitting. Mm -hmm. And also very Neo, like these two books, these later two books have a lot of comparisons have a lot of like critical comparisons to Dune, which I don't think you've read. I have not. Which is also why I haven't been talking about it a whole lot. But I'm I'm very aware. I'll mention a couple of the big ones later when we get to them. But this is that's kind of one of those moments. It's one of those similar things in Dune in which there is also kind of a rebirth of a similar degree when he utters the famous line that the series is known for. People who know it will know you don't need to. I don't expect you to. But they share those similar themes throughout the two series. It's definitely inspired by science fiction that exists. Mm -hmm. Maybe people haven't enjoyed it or read it the same, but it's interesting, especially now that Dune has kind of reentered the consciousness with it coming out so soon. The, the movie mm -hmm. moving on um, as it turns out, he's been right under the Jackal's table this entire time. Yeah. Which just points the Jackal being the sickest fuck that ever <laughs> did walk the earth and the moon and the Mars. Uh, yeah, he's, just fucking sadistic but the way this whole sort of interaction came out when when darrow was removed from the from the table and mm -hmm. i can't remember who's there but they're looking at him and they're like well, holy fuck like that's ridiculous that's fucked up and he he seemed to just be kind of cheerily standing there smiling and like look what i did mm -hmm. that sort of disposition immediately brought me to Ramsey Bolton and his interactions with Theon Greyjoy. Specifically, uh, just just the way that Ramsey was always so kind of eerily cheery about everything and definitely enjoyed the fact that he was torturing people. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. As, as a note here... I definitely get your point on on Jackal does seem like Ramsey Bolton and that does make Darrow Theon Greyjoy. Yeah, let's yeah, let's pu question. let's pull up the actual quote of like the people murmuring in the background. Mm. Um so has he been in there the whole time? Adrius, what is this? The stench. Barbaric. My honored guests, may I present to you prisoner L17L6363. His face is both heaven and hell. And, you know, especially with the pink later, you can kind of see the sort of 
breakdown of, of the kind of torture that he puts his people through, the people that are underneath in sort of the, the jail cells, the containment that the port of quality control runs. Mm-hmm. Weird. I, I think I think it's very interesting and we get the other side here. I think that Darrow does compare with Theon Greyjoy Reek, but I think the pink at the end of this chapter more accurately directly depicts that. Oh, totally. I Yeah. I threw Theon Greyjoy in there because that's that's who Ramsey Bolton was breaking and that's yeah. the position that Darrow's in but he he definitely doesn't sort of there's not a whole lot of one-to-one comparisons between those two characters yeah and yeah i because, would say that darrow's broken but he hasn't been enslaved right like he hasn't been reek was yeah he hasn't been disassociated from himself and split into a different personality because we haven't mentioned it yet if any of you are unaware we're talking about game of thrones oh yeah <laughs> yeah this spoilers i guess uh, yeah i guess it is but yeah it, that, mean, that shows like a decade old now right <laughs> no that I mean, that season quite. that season i no. think it is no definitely not when did it come out that was like season five or six pj no it wasn't. That was like yeah it was that's bullshit i hope to prove you wrong but i'm not interested enough to look it up ramsey bolton doesn't come to power until season five season six is the battle of the bastards i don't think he was in power though at the battle of the bastards no when, when he, he was in stable when he was enslaving reek it was either four or five. It has not been a decade. Well, we'll just, when did, we'll, when did we'll season this. one come out? Let's just leave it at that. Okay, I want to say it's 2010. Okay, so 11 years ago. Either way, I think we're well within our bounds to spoil that a little bit. Right, right. And that and it's a worthless TV program. So, <laughs> no, I, I think that the whole conversation that ensues Isn't around... this whole show about our opinions? Yes, yes. <laughs> but around a, a specific piece of thing... You know, Fair enough. we're discussing a specific thing, but yes, you're, you're definitely right, right on the money mm-hmm. there. So I, one of the things that I think also feeds back into the conversation about Game of Thrones in general here is that we kind of get a wide information dump as to what's gone on while he was in the hole. Mm-hmm. And I think there are there are a number of interesting facts that have gone around, like the Jackal being the arch governor, the Tactus's older brothers, uh, the v- brothers Valley Wrath. Are, are spoken about or the brothers wrath uh, are spoken about for a brief period there, there are a mm-hmm. number of other kind of contact pieces that we get but we can't necessarily assemble the whole puzzle but they don't really care about giving out that information because darrow is gonna go get dissected exactly any any piece that you thought was interesting there or want to talk about or want to maybe lather on a prediction from i i guess i don't have anything specific to talk about I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of really interesting things that'll pop up when I reread it again, because I I like to I've been liking the process of reading it and then listening to the audiobook. And I didn't Mm -hmm. get it. I didn't get time to listen to the audiobook. Uh, So, okay, I've only read through it once, which is fine, but I'd need to dig deeper. You know, I think one of the more interesting things that gets revealed, not revealed, but one of the more interesting things that's spoken about here is uh Aja is obviously there, and it's kind of the reveal that she's there, and that Cassius is also there. The most violent of the Sovereign's Furies wears the same armor I saw her in when we first met in the Citadel Spire and Luna. Oh, there is the and, Bone Riders that yes, are kind of yep. introduced here. So he yep. has his own sort of faction of of Howlers, essentially. Yeah, so the Bone Riders were actually introduced in the first book, 
Were they called they Bone Riders, though? They were given the rough name the Bone Riders because Lilith rode in with bones in her hair. Okay. They, I don't they recall were, that. I believe they were called the Bone Riders at that point. Or at the very least in the in the second book. It might have been Mustang that called them the Bone... It was Mustang, I think, that referred to them as the Bone Riders at some point. Okay. I believe I you. I just... One. It stood out to me as something new. No, I agree with you. And uh, one of the Howlers has joined the Bone Riders. Yes. If we get here. Yes. Right? Uh, Thistle, correct? Yes. Yes. The one that they knew wouldn't be on board with it from the beginning and put up a stink when Ragnar got the razor. razor. One in the same makes sense. That defection checks out. What's interesting, though, is that like Victra gets punished so hardcore and yet Thistle doesn't. You know, that's interesting. Because- um, I'm guessing she has kind of a semi-pivotal role in putting solid facts together bringing that information forward to the mm. to the jackal before yeah. the uh the the moment that happened at the end of golden sun correct got it okay something that i also find very interesting here is we kind of get a mixed reaction from the field as it relates to darrow's state at the beginning of this right darrow is emaciated looks gross and i found that everyone's reaction kind of painted themselves in a weird like D chart kind of way it was kind of their you know their stasis on the chart to some degree. Yeah. Like Cassius is very clearly lawful good. Uh, Adrius is chaotic neutral because he's not fully evil, I don't think. Yeah, I guess I would probably put it at chaotic neutral. He's he's kind of he's in between evil and neutral. He's more on that more in he, that land he, I mean, than good. You know, he's for profit for he, himself. He for is position. exactly. So it, it's not it's not to cause harm to other people, though he does do that sometimes. But it is most of his acts are strictly for his own gain and with disregard to other people's misfortune. Right. Yep. So I, I think chaotic neutral is the right yeah. call there. Yeah. I, I just find it interesting because we get all the different reactions and it does kind of feel like it paints everyone's D&D chart out there. The morality chart. Oh, um, I, I love I love using that morality chart and putting characters in there. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think when you get a fun group of characters together, it makes it even more interesting. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, though, the final bit in this section is the one that we had already kind of mentioned briefly, but it's where Jackal asks the pink to pull the trigger to kill him after, you know, him explaining the state and everything that he put the pink through, kind of proving the subservience of low colors to some degree, saying, look, she can't do it, reminded me almost immediately of the scene in... Uh, Django Unchained, in which uh, Leo DiCaprio's character is pointing out the dimples in in the skull. I don't know if you mm. remember, but uh, very reminiscent to some degree, and just made me want to like throw something at him in the same kind of way that that scene makes you want to kill Leonardo DiCaprio. Do you want to know what I thought immediately? What do you think? This has some kind of stark similarities in execution, but not follow through of uh the moment in red rising where he had where where darrow had his had was it tactus i think tactus whip him whip him mm. <clears throat> as, yeah. a, as a means of humanizing himself and joining the ranks of the army that he's leading as opposed to dehumanization and fear and being a better than and above the people that he is commanding totally I, I think that that's actually a great parallel to draw between the two, especially because I think it also speaks to their characters, you know, mm-hmm. as independent entities. 
that's uh that's excellent don't be condescending and say good work but um well, you yeah, are good work. So, thanks. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it was, it was very good. I I had never thought about it that way, but it is totally reminiscent of that in in terms of like the people that follow him. But it's kind of the it's it's the inverse, right? It's the total mirror of that, which is great. Mm-hmm. I I think that that also proves that Jackal is gold cruelty incarnate, though. Yeah, he is like I mean, as bad as it gets. The, just to put a cap on it, the the quote at the at the end of this. Into, this chapter sums it up really well. There, there, Calliope. You did well. You did well. The jackal turns to Aja. For the public, honey is always better than vinegar. But for those who war with wrenches, with poison, with sabotage in the sewers, and terror in the street, the nibble or the and nibble at us like cockroaches in the night, fear is the only method. His eyes find mine. Fear and extermination. Oof. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Man, it's um, every time the jackal speaks, there's something that's insightful about fascism. It's just lingering right there. It's just right there. It's yeah. Space. It's, it, what did you call it? I don't know if that made it to made it uh, to it's space air. racism. Space oh, racism. it was space racism. Or I think you also fascism. said you also said space fascism at yeah, some point because I society is also like that. But there's space racists and space fascists. One it's just racist and fascist. And right, but space, being in space doesn't space. doesn't change it. I think it, I think it does a little <laughs> bit, just a little bit. It, I That's mean, fair. it makes it bigger. It does make it bigger. Yes, it does make it bigger. Okay, chapter three, snake bite. So we get introduced to a number of characters that are going to be thrown away and discarded very quickly. But we're introduced to Danto and a gang of greys. Like the beginning of the last book, um, where Jero is evacuating himself, he's now being found to be checked out by a doctor, escorted before being transferred fully into Aja's custody to go get dissected by her yellows. Okay, so that that is a point that you and I kind of thought about a little bit. Not thought about, but commented on. At this moment, is Darrow technically out of the custody of the Jackal? So the reason that I don't think so is because he's still within the Jackal's stronghold, still even on Mars. I I would go so far as to argue the planet. It's still Jackal's fault. But that's that's one argument. The prisoner has been given up to the Lurcher squad of the Sovereign or of of the Ash Lord, isn't it? Yeah, it's the 13th. Yeah, whatever. So it's. It's the Lurcher squad owned by the Ash Lord and I'm assuming commanded by Aja. Mm-hmm. At that point, isn't anything that happens to Darrow at isn't that their fault and not the Jackals? Could be. Uh, I, I agree with you. I understand where you're coming from. I think that the problem with the argument in general is that, yes, while it was their fault, it's ultimately the Jackals that they got away fully. Right. So the I don't, full custody... I don't know if I agree with that because I, I think I think the moment in the room where Darrow is let out of the table, that is the transfer of prisoner. Like, here you go. He's yours now. Fair. This will come up later when we talk about it for sure, though. Yeah, I, I think what's what's interesting here is that we get a peek into great culture in general. This whole section is another different, not desperate peek into the way that they interact we get to see kind of their their sort of chat, their side chat, the like respect that they have for command 
in military and the different combats that they've been through and everything else mm-hmm. is uh, is very interesting. I also really like this line. The talking about the grays, they hate low colors with a marrow deep racism. Even golds can't match. I love Oof. the term marrow deep. I, I really I've never heard that term before. I don't know if that's new here, but I really like the term marrow deep. I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't claim that it's brand new or anything like that, but I think that with brilliant ideas comes brilliant writing and the like. And I think that especially in this book so far, I don't know how you feel about it. But Pierce is really able to cut and trim a lot of the fat and only tell the story as it's immediately relevant. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean I, I just want to clarify here. Golden Sun is still my favorite book, and I'm not I'm not shitting on that book at all by saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's fully better storytelling. I'm just saying that it's faster paced. It's better. Yeah, it's got better rhythm moving through it. You mentioned that this around this time might be the point where he started getting into screenwriting a little bit. I think that it is. I think between the two books is when he started to move into the screenwriting space, maybe more and more. I think that Um, makes a ton of sense based on how this is paced already. Yeah, it's uh, and especially the way that it's visualized, too. I think that both of those things make sense. I think this entire section that we picked out here for the first part of the reading is or that I picked out here for you for the first part of the reading. Ha ha ha. (laughs) <laughs> um, is uh, is very cinematic <laughs> front to back yeah and uh, i mean when have we not talked about the cinematography inherent in the uh in the scenes in this book in the series yeah without a doubt or in the series yeah we've been talking about that for a while but it definitely sort of takes off here and mm-hmm. seems to be written with that in mind a little bit oh yeah definitely, maybe definitely maybe not composed. that this would get adapted but that he was kind of in the headspace of writing for film yeah 100 percent, definitely definitely understand totally agree i'm with you mm-hmm. so moving on from the incredibly racist grays um to uh to the yellow being very dehumanizing the yellow calling darrow it as we mentioned before is just so beyond jaw-droppingly awful you as you'd mentioned earlier he is kind of an abomination of sorts i also had mentioned earlier the like notion of being bird twice that they mention. I don't, it's I don't just, think it's of sorts. I think I think by by the I, I haven't looked up the definition of abomination, but by what most people would classically think of as an abomination, like he, he is an unnatural life form that was in using Red Rising terms carved into existence. He, he is Frankenstein's monster to a certain extent. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think actually the definition of abomination is a lot looser than you think it is. OK, it's actually just a thing that causes disgust or hatred or a feeling of hatred. Oh, so to to call him. I But I, I think that it's actually more apt to call him Frankenstein's monster. He is, you know, in my head, I think abomination, I think crafted from multiple pieces of flesh or multiple bodies yeah. to craft one body. Exactly. I think of it in like the Diablo or like World of Warcraft kind of sense. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you to some, you know, D&D, etc. I think the fantasy sense of abomination is more where my brain goes. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I do I do see that. I mean, I don't think I think what's really interesting about this universe is the carvers aren't so explicitly defined. And Darrow's remaking isn't so explicitly defined as so much as it is like stretching him and filling it out as it is like actually taking flesh from anything else. 
Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. It's a loose definition of what I think of as as an abomination. But I I think when I think abomination, I think I also think awful. I think it's an awful creature. No one no one here uses that term, but they basically get there by dehumanizing him to this it. Right. They don't respect either color that he's a part of, although they associate him with red. So that's that's something I'm really curious about. The, The mention of that he was kind of stretched and he wasn't nothing was added to him that didn't well, his, grow his grow on his its own. legs were broken broken and and right. kind of given the opportunity to regrow in a in a more perfect way but it's not like they took the muscle structure of a different person and like slapped it on his body mm-hmm. like i, right. I and I, what i'm curious is is that a unique carving style to mickey that allowed him to create this without following the strict, central, typical ways carvers operate. Like, I, I think is, Titus isn't that dissimilar. You know, we, we have to like go back to the comparison okay, of Titus, yeah. right? Because Titus wasn't carved by Mickey. We know that because M- Mickey did not know about him in the conversation that Daryl later has. Like, why would you? Do but this? we don't know like, that I they didn't. didn't work together and develop this sort of process as sort of a think tank of two carvers. What? I think it's clear that Mickey was working alone to some degree, and I think that's based on refreshes of the text over time. Okay. Now, that said, I think I'm still with you on the idea, right? Because all the carvers are basically trained at the same spot. They are shown to be able to make mythological creatures, right? And unique things like the oracles. But I I would assume they're based off of and created from the parts of existing things. That are sort of spliced yes, together. Yes, potentially. Or augmented potentially. in some way. Yeah. Like you have to start with some some base components yeah, that I, are I already living, I would think. I don't disagree with you at all. I think that that's actually a really good base for most of the rest of it. I just think that getting back to Darrow, I don't think he's composed of additional real person flesh. But they probably have a form of, they obviously have a form of synth flesh that they're working with and cybernetics and other things like that. They just had to obviously, like, he cannot be cybernetic in any obvious way, of course, because he's got to look like a, look like and feel like a real gold with the sigils and the, the brain chip and everything else. Mm-hmm. But. And we discussed maybe his sperm too. They do. Yeah, right. Yes. As we discussed, maybe his sperm. But like they do have res flesh, which is like used to patch wounds, which we've talked about, which was mentioned in Golden Sun Mm -hmm. as like a a basic patching mechanism. So there's there is some kind of in between where there's some synthesis. The question is, is like, how do they make it real? Well, they probably had to create. And this is a better question, I think, maybe for Bingham, even in order to pull something like this off, they would need to create a system that could effectively replicate DNA to replace the cells and make it so that he wouldn't just like droop and fade into, you know, bad clone (laughs) sci-fi. You know what I mean? Or like based uh, on whatever tests could be thrown at him. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious if there are any tests that can be done. And I guess that's what this dissection would be for that would tell them if, if he's been carved. Yeah. Or if he is done in such a perfect way that it's indistinguishable. I think that's actually kind of the core point of this section to some degree. Yeah, I think I think that's probably what they're getting at is finding a way to test people to see if they've been carved or not. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And 
I think that's definitely the case. I think that there that kind of poses a larger question into how many people do we have to examine? What can we look for? You know, it's, it's an interesting thing looking forward into how this is handled by Octavia and the society if they would have gotten a hold of Darrow. But they don't. They don't. Why don't they, PJ? Uh, murders. murders. Murders happen. Murders. Murders uh, and subterfuge. <laughs> <laughs> We're introduced to the siblings Nakamura, Holiday and Trig. What do you think of the pair? Ah, uh, they they have such a perfectly like rounded out dynamic mm-hmm. of cerebral and intellectual and planning focused and brash and hardcore aggressive and they they balance each other so well and they they work together so well that it, mm-hmm. it is it's hard to believe that Holiday will be able to go forward in such a an elegant way without Trig. To to be honest, um, on first read, for some reason, I thought that they were actually twins. And I did too. To to that exact read, like I thought that they were twins, and I totally agree with you. Though I think that they are that level of of like sibling, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. There's I like a, so a sort of mirror there. Thinking about thinking back on it, like I I, I remember Trig being the younger sibling. Yes, like I, I, I yep. remember that, but I think of them as twins mm-hmm. and I was going to mention that they were twins until you said the siblings instead of the twins. I'm like, oh, right. They're not actually twins. So I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Yeah, no, they, I, they I do have that sort of relationship. Thought it on multiple occasions. I totally agree with you. Um, it's unfortunate that we don't get to know one of them much more for much longer. Yeah, he's PG Severo, so it's fine. We got the we got the unadulterated <laughs> thing. That's uh that's great. That's great. You son of a beesh. No, it's it's definitely true. I it's you know, it's it's an unfortunate end that we'll talk about when we get there. So we finally we get revealed the they kill all of the other greys in the yellow inside of the room very quickly, quietly dispatching the rest of them, saying that they are here to rescue Darrow and take him out. He just does not believe it because he's like, no, 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 there's no way you're a plant. You're here to trick me because he's used to being, you know, tricked and abused inside of the box alone by his own thoughts or otherwise. He wasn't tricked or abused by the box itself or anything else in it. He was abused. He was abused by the fact that he was put in a box for nine months after three months of torture. Right. Like what? What's the torture? I want to know that. I, I think they briefly mention it in the first section where he did give up his family during the torture already. Right. Which, which is awful, of course. Yes. Um, no, no, no. I don't think he gave up his family. The jackal said he had his family. Correct. Correct. And then he was like, but I would never give up my family. But then he says something like, but I already have. Uh, um, hmm. Anyway, we're. We're we're past that now. In our we are past but. that. Um, that shit's old. Let's get new stuff. <laughs> um, so we, we they they get obviously like this rescue is taking place. Uh, Darrow doesn't believe it, and so they call on the big boss to uh, to show up and solve the problem for Darrow. And that big mm-hmm. boss is Ares, and Ares now is Severo. Yes. Yes. What do you think is. of that? As soon as they said Ares wants to talk to you. I'm like, it's Severo. Like, it just made sense to me. (laughs) So it wasn't long before that was, like, proven to be true. But, like, as soon as it was mentioned that somebody was in the role of Ares, I knew it would have been a little unicorn dick bastard. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But I was 
I was happy to happy to see it. He's he's embraced his half redness. Yeah, I, I cannot disagree in the slightest. It was great to kind of have this peek back to the the reality that we kind of know and love <laughs> <laughs> after the sort of torture that Darrow's been through, too. It's a it's relaxing, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of reenter that. It's a it's a moment of refreshment, at which point we then move into the end of the chapter in which Darrow is injected with the snake bite. Yes. So and you had some thoughts there. I did. So I, w- I was just going to commend the naming of the chapters being thought provoking, relevant and just important. But I think this one has a dual meaning a little bit mm-hmm. up until this point when the snake bite sort of serum was administered to him. I was totally under the assumption that he's surviving all of this and he is able to compose himself and is as strong as he is, as mentioned many, many times due to the pit viper bite of his, of his youth kind of strengthening his heart. The, the yellow mentions how, how strong his, his heartbeat is, uh, especially in his condition, especially in what he's gone through. Um, but it was a cool, cool double meaning to include the actual serum, the adrenaline rushing thing that, uh, that's named snake bite. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think that it's got that double meaning with the pit viper. You actually brought that up and I was very much like, wow, that was a that's a great point. Um, that's only kind of like briefly hinted at or flirted with to some degree when they make mention of his heart, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's a great, great double meaning. And I actually I truly believe that most of these outside of the numbered <laughs> the chapters that involve numbers kind of have double meanings to the name. Right. But there was something else that you and I talked about, and I can't remember it off the top of my head here. Oh, Earth. The Earth thing. Earth. Yes. Darrow says something along the lines of your mama made this. And they're they just kind of like casually say, Well, we are from Earth. So I wanna fucking know what's going on on Earth. And where <laughs> I can get, get some of that snake bite. You know, I, I think that that's actually really funny. That's not actually something that I thought about or picked up on. Um, but I'm a I'm a big sci-fi fan. And I feel like what's always really interesting is when you get deep sci-fi that spans the solar system in colonies or planets or anything like that. Revisiting Earth when people have left Earth is one of the most interesting things. And I also think that it's very clever of Pierce Brown to have so cautiously skirted earth Mm -hmm. with only mentions of like the Japanese isles and like certain commanders and, you know, other things like that. And and the origins of the gold society coming from the takeover of earth. Like they, they do mention it, but they don't mention earth in, in its present form. Very often. It doesn't get, it never gets specific, like very specific Mm -hmm. as to what's going on or anything like that. I think that that's clever in an interesting way of making your science fiction world a fantasy world yeah. because you, you you've effectively disconnected yourself from the reality of Earth in the right. same way that Star Wars does for the most part. Luna kind of takes the the weird, not weird, but the like direct place of Earth. It does simply because it's it's familiar to us. Mm-hmm. It's something we look at every day. Yeah. So so it, it feels it feels home like in reading about Luna, even though there's nothing comparable. It's just, right. We, we have an intimate relationship with the moon. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely. So we move into the next chapter, chapter four, cell two, one, eight, seven. 
Did you know the fun fact about this chapter, PJ? The chapter I did here? after you told me before we started recording. Well, but, I, that's that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is actually one that I knew when I read it the first time. I was oh, like, really? oh, I know that number. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. After I heard it, I was like, that is Princess Be- Leia's cell number. Yes. Yes, it is. When was this published? Uh, I think we went over this in our Desert Sun episode. 2016. <laughs> yep. Uh, that is one year before the Desert Desert Sun. Yes. Short story was published in star wars book uh from a certain perspective yes yep i wonder if he's already written like at the time of writing this i wonder if he's already written that short story and had star wars on the mind or if it's just coincidence because he drops sci-fi like easter eggs all over the place i i think it's a little bit of a and b um i don't know i i truly don't i would actually be super interested in that answer and if i were to meet him someday i would probably ask that question Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to talk about this during the Desert Sun episode, but I was like, no, 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 we can't. We'll talk about it next week. But it does it does feel very coincidental that these kind of line up on that publishing timeline. However, when you, when I think about the traditional publishing timeline, I think that this, if it came out in 2016, was probably written at least a year beforehand, went through all of the ropes and rang yeah, out as, but that, that as doesn't, does the short story. That doesn't mean least, the cell number was set in stone he could have he could have gone back and edited the cell number to be a little easter egg no that's true but there i i guess in this book more than in any other and we haven't gotten there yet but there are more easter eggs in this book for sure oh fair <laughs> enough okay than any other um fair enough. and uh it feels like he's kind of paying homage just in case to some degree i to, in my head if i if i were in his position and i were like finishing out my trilogy wasn't sure how well I was going to do or if I was going to be able to publish anything afterward, I would pump in as much extra shit as I could. I would be talking about the Dark Tower at least once or twice and making jokes. Maybe. Crossland. But maybe. This total, total like behind the scenes kind of conversation that we're going to publish. Um, You mentioned that this book, more than anything else, has a lot of Easter eggs to sci-fi things. Do you want to turn that into a drinking game? It could be. We could do that. We could turn it into a drinking game. I'm going to bring them all up then. Sure. Oh, yeah. No, if you, no, if we'll, you catch them or if you don't if, catch if, them, is that the game? Yeah. If I don't okay. catch them, I drink. If I do catch them, you drink. Okay. And if neither of us catch them and one of the listeners sends it into us, we both drink twice. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm, uh, I'm in for that. You heard the rules. If... PJ finds an Easter egg that I don't point out. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I was trying to trick you into the role. Damn no, it. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, if PJ finds one of the Easter eggs, then I drink. If he knows what it is when I point it out. Right. That's effectively the rule. Um, yes. So I have to be I on top of it. Eggs. I have to be on top of it and uh, point it out in my book and have it. I'll have a separate little file and before recording, I will post it into our into our group chat or into our, uh, into our document. I will know that you will get all of the Dune references so wrong. I won't notice that they're Dune references. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no, no. OK, so I'm down. So if, if you're able to point them out, you don't drink. I do drink. If I point them out and you don't know them, you drink. Yep. Cool. Um, and then and then if if, if we miss any listener. Yep. Yep. Listeners, uh, be on lookout for <laughs> just references 
and Easter eggs to other sci-fi works. And uh, be be aware that any sort of interaction will, uh, first of all, will will have to drink for it, and second of all, you'll get some uh, some published immortal credits. <laughs> yeah, recognition. So yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Sounds like a sounds like a good time. So cell two one eight seven. Leia's cell number from A New Hope. I said it right. Uh, we wandered down the halls. I, in, in the in the document, I kept changing the name to Leah because that's how he started like fucking up right away. My and I wanted, I wanted, I wanted so badly for him to fuck it up in the recording, did but he didn't. Not, did not. No, I'm actually feeling much better about my pronunciation of words now. Thank you. <clears throat> um, so we we kind of get to wander down the halls with Grays and Darrow, kind of staggering after the snake bite has rejuvenated him to a point where he's functional, but obviously not normal because his muscles have atrophied so badly. We find out that Victra is alive. Did I skip the bit where they put the razor back in his hand? That's important. That, yeah, you did razor. skip that. They give him his razor that has been recarved with a number of Im- images, including Mustang on it, which that's interesting, right? It is um what's what's happening with mustang where is we that don't no, no, we no, don't no, know no 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 in the in the um in the razor depiction because i don't recall that oh, i think because uh, i thought it was just him and eo and his his family from i i thought it was all from lycos maybe but i for some reason i thought it was i thought there was reference to mustang on top of the razor too i could see i could see it i could believe it but i don't recall it off the top of my head Eo looks back at me. An image of her is etched into the metal. The artist caught her not on the scaffold, not in the moment that will forever define her to others, but intimately as the girl I loved. She's crouched, hair messy, about her shoulders, picking a hemanthus from the ground, looking up. Oh, Mustang gave it to him originally. That's where my yeah. brain was. Okay. Yeah. It had nothing to do with Mustang in the moment. Yeah. I, yeah so my, it's, my got, it's got Eo. It, it is carved. It's got his father kissing his mother it's got liana and lauren and darrow chasing kieran down a tunnel mm-hmm. uh, wearing their op- october knocked masks whoever made this art knows me that's interesting yes yeah so to uh, to get back to the point here so something we skipped over last time uh within chapter three is obviously the handing back of the razor which is a big deal to Darrow and to revitalizing him and making him remember who he is, you know, and, and kind of not being afraid of himself. And it's kind of in chapter four where it becomes more apparent, but he, it is kind of a symbol of home that he's returning to in more ways than one. The razor slithers, slithers out into the sling blade form. It's the gift that Mustang gave him that he lost to Carnus and lost again <laughs> to, to Roke and whatnot. It just bad bad time bad memories all around but since mm-hmm. the bad memories of that razor have been replaced with uh wonderful beautiful carvings right yeah all of his his family in lycos his childhood just everything yo specifically being the most striking one that gets most of the description but also his siblings chasing chasing each other down a tunnel with their october knocked masks yeah which are the the like if we're hearkening all the way back inside of the mythologies from the first book, right? With the masks that he's escorted out on uh, with harmony at the time, not holiday, like my brain wanted to say. Anyway, continuing into the rest of chapter four, though, we wander down the halls and we run into Vexus 
Darrow has his head in a bag and whatnot is being walked down the halls as though he's a prisoner. Vexus is kind of Vixus, excuse me, is kind of interested in what's going on here. They go into the elevator and they take down Vixus very easily between the three of them. But I mean, we get a piece of information. Go ahead. If Darrow was not a paranoid husk of a person right now, this would have gone so much more smoothly. Oh, of course. Of course. Like he, he kind of fucks shit up a little bit by like hissing for Trig to, uh, to shoot him. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> man, they had it under control. Yeah, very true. I think that there's there's a part of Darrow who wants to be the Darrow of old, but right now is not the Darrow at all that we that we know and recognize. Mm-hmm. But they do get that piece of information from him, obviously, that Victra is alive and where she is, and she's in cell 2187. Yes. And so they settle, Darrow settles on forcing them to change the plan from plan A to plan B to eventually plan C. But yeah. the, the point being here that obviously we know that Victra survived being shot through the spine. Twice, which is yeah, twice, which is a feat in and of itself. Did you see that coming at all? Did you think she was lost to the wind? Well, okay. Initially, yes, I thought she was lost to the wind. But then I read the first page of this book, (laughs) which after after the map is the uh, and after the story so far, which is a great band. Listen to them. uh, There's the list of characters. And Victra's in it. Fair, so. fair. But and none of the other characters. dead people are in it. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, no, there are none. I, <laughs> I double checked actually right before this. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> should I have told them to skip that? But, so, yeah. I mean, I'm just glad that it paid off pretty quickly. Otherwise, yeah, I would have yeah, been really kind of fucked up about it for a little while. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a little bit of a messy thing. Yeah. So, I, I think what's really interesting here inside of the elevator, of course, while uh, Vixus is being held up is that they they basically recant the Grey's recant. You know, that gold bitch isn't one of us. I won't die for her. And then Darrow in his head says, but Victra would have died for me. In the darkness, I thought of her. The childish joy in her eyes when I gave her the bottle of Petrichor in the Jackal's study. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is such an interesting counterpoint is that as we talked about kind of fondly in the final episode with Tib and everything else and over the course of the series is that Victra was very loyal, very loyal mm-hmm. versus Antonia. You know, it's kind of the, the yeah. image that she had to fight against. I, yeah, I mean. Yeah, for sure. And so I think here it pays off. But bringing that lineup, we still don't know what was given to the Jackal mm. mm-hmm. in that moment. And we also know that that moment or that that scene is where the Jackal realized that Darrow's a red. Right. Which probably has something to do with something in that box. That he gave to the jackal. And I am racking my brain trying to think of what it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think that's an interesting question. It's got to be something that could pass as and very easily pass as something touching and meaningful to both Darrow and the jackal together. Hmm. Like bomb fragments or something. I don't think it's like bomb or skeletons of children. Mm -hmm. If they're painted red, maybe that jackal consumed. I don't know. Like (laughs) similar. (laughs) No, I I, I get where you're coming from. It has to be like a a similar kind of trophy that symbolizes something important between the two of them. And I feel like I don't know. I don't know what it could be. I, I 
avoided bringing this up because I knew I didn't have an answer because you were going to ask me what what I thought it would be. And fuck, man, I think it could be a sling blade. Hmm. That could be interesting. But Maybe. it was a, it was a small box, though, wasn't it? I mean, it was a yeah small leather box. I don't know that it yeah, was that I think, small. No, but like a sling, like a, a sling cute. blade's like the size of a like yeah. a little bit smaller than a sword. Like it is a pretty big box that would fit a sling blade. Yeah, right. Like bigger than a pizza box. Could be a little jackal statue. Mm, no, that wouldn't tip up. Like it, it's got to be something that would tip the jackal off that he's a red. Like well, it's got to be something like that's that's the Icarus moment. Mm. So I, I'm going to let you gestate this thought as we continue here. And I think you might gestate it for an entire episode or two. I will. Um, but when you but when you think about it, we'll, we'll return to the topic. What you think is in the box, because I think it's worthy of, of thinking about. If is you it have an idea at the end of the episode, we- <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't think it'd be funny. I think it'd be really fucked up. It'd be very direct, actually. <laughs> you know, obviously, we get the interesting commentary on that gold bitch. We move on into seeing Victra in her cell after, you know, having the code punch in and everything else. It also being a code that Mustang used previously is interesting. But seeing both of these two golds who are in their prime facet in the last pages of the last book is just so bad. She is, um, she is almost worse than Darrow is to some degree. She's been it, through more, it almost seems like. The, I, I find it interesting, too, the like sort of reverse torture that Victor is going through at this point, right? Reverse? Where it's literally the, well, not reverse, but inverse of inverse Darrow's, of, of Darrow's, Darrow's yeah. torture. Yeah. It, it is super interesting that she's getting literally the opposite. He's getting she's getting exposure, torture, and he's getting removal. Yeah, it's stimuli. It's yeah, exactly. Stimulation overload versus stimulation. Um, de- Sensory deprivation. De- yep. Deprivation. Yeah. And they're they're both they both escape from these. They don't escape, but they emerge corpses of themselves almost. Both of them. Yeah. The yeah. same result, except for the snake bite keeping him. Keeping them right. strong. Keeping Darrow strong and up and Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we approach the end of this where uh, where Darrow now is being face down with or rather isn't being face down. But Vixus is facing him. He's throwing him in the room and he's kind of debating what to do. And he makes the decision to kill him because after he, you know, after a comment. Right, right. Which is, uh, tell, li- tell little Severa we're coming, one Barca down, one to go. And he decides, of course, to so, kill him. Uh, can, you, can you explain that quickly? Because I don't, I didn't catch it. I didn't, I didn't understand it. I'm assuming it was one Leah's Barca last down. name? Barca? Barca? Yeah. That's Severo's last name. No. Yeah. Yeah. So something that's worth worth talking about is a uh, Hannibal, the the known Roman Republic commander, is Hannibal Barca. Okay. He's a general. And so that is also a namesake that connects directly with the idea of, of Ares and everything else. It's sort of this sort of commander nature. But yeah, that's that's shared within the family. Okay. 
So yeah, they're, they're I, the I don't Marcus. know why I don't know why I thought it was something different. I can't think of what I thought it was. But yeah, so one bark it down is a, is a call out to Fitchner's head. Fitchner yeah. being dead, and so he gets angry. And uh, I think that like the depiction of anger here is very cinematic. Again, the heartbeat sound of the room deepens. That alone is perfect. The heartbeat sound of the room, meaning yeah. that it's quiet and that you can hear a heartbeat. That like there's a pulse, there's a live pulse to the room. It's so oh, brilliant. Uh, that's not that's not what it's saying. But also like the heartbeat sound from the room itself, right? Because the room is also emanating a sound. Okay. Um, I right. took it strictly as the sound emanating from the speakers. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of the two and it's playing okay. into this, right? I can, so, like, it's I can playing see into that. It. Yes, the heartbeat sound is immediately from the room, right? So like the, the heartbeat is being created by the room. But you can feel it in both of their perspectives staring at yeah, each other. I suppose so. Right. And then you get the white light silhouetting him. He wants pity. My pity was lost in the darkness. And then he slits his throat. You know? Yeah. He's like, As he should. <clears throat> send my message to the jackal and then slits his throat. Uh, and that's the message. <laughs> it's just great. Great, great revenge for all the shit he's been through. You know? Bad time. From there, we move into chapter five, plan C, as previously mentioned. So Trig and Holiday have to figure out a way out of this. They're, they decide that they're going to call on forces to evacuate them since they're not going to be able to go to the hangar anymore because they don't have time because alarms are sounding everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I think most importantly, though, here we get a little bit more characterization on Harmony and Trig, right? And then we get one of the best action scenes so far, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... I, I really like the line right off the bat. You know what we need? What? Trick says a cold beer. And <laughs> it's just perfect. You know, Darrow's finally laughing again. <laughs> you know, and it's it's a big deal. And yeah, drink to that. Cheers. Pour yeah, one out for cheers. Trick. Yeah, just just fantastic. Also, so from that moment, they're going up the elevator because they're being forced to face a group of people who are waiting for them in the hangar who are going to kill them all except for probably Darrow or trying not to injure him too badly. And uh, we get what you described as a very interesting scene from a different movie that we've already talked about a little bit. Well, Keanu Reeves, but yeah. So they come out guns a blazing, just taking shit out and throw an EMP out first to disable well, their yeah. weapons yeah, and yeah, their yeah. shields. Right. Yeah hand out gunpowder weapons because their shit's also going to be disabled and yeah i i skipped the i skipped the setup i was trying to <laughs> jump straight into the uh the matrix straight to the punchline <laughs> yeah so they've they've got the uh the emp which i was surprised at how long range that thing is that's a big fucking thing <laughs> like it's, it's not miles but it seemed to be like a mile long radius of effect which is wild to think about just how much energy that would take but as soon as that's done any of their energy weapons and shields and anything electronic related is disabled so they've got gunpowder relics like relic weapons which is like our modern weaponry which is kind of kind of cool to see and holiday and trig come out 
like I said, guns a blazing and literally thinking about it, reading this, I imagined them in black trench coats. <laughs> I imagined them as like characters in the matrix <laughs> because that's, that's how this scene is kind of written. You know, it's super interesting to me, PJ. A lot of the fans of this series are a bit younger than us, a couple of years. Um, and and they're obviously like people our age and older as well that are fans of the series, of course. But a, a number of them, I'd be shocked if they fully caught that reference. If they hadn't, like, if they've watched The Matrix to begin with. Um, um, it, all you babies point, out there. All you babies out there need to see Go the watch The Matrix. <laughs> I, I've recently had conversations with people on Tibbs Discord about Fight Club and have not seen okay. people who have not seen Fight Club a year apart. Those movies are a year apart. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, regardless, I, it's very interesting. It is a fascinating scene of action. This entire the entire rest of the section is just nothing but pure action bliss and a ton of like absolutely perfectly punctuated small details. Right. Like before mm. getting out of the elevator, um, kissing the ring that he's he's got on his finger that trick's got on his finger um something we briefly skipped over but they wanted to like hack their way out of the elevator we get our mention of a character who we have not been introduced to yet named ephraim here um Uh, before before you get to ephraim yeah i just have to make an amendment talked about yeah before before we go farther (laughs) i have to make an amendment all you babies out there that haven't seen the matrix just know that all I'm talking about and all I'm advocating for is that you watch the first Matrix movie. Do not bother going forward with the series. The second I tragically disagree with you. The second one's all right. I think the second one is the worst and the third one is good. Hmm. Again, the second one has oh, maybe you're right. CGI. Yeah, maybe you're right. It's got, it's got some bad like CGI stand in for what was supposed to be like. My point. Cool my point is I'm talking about the first one and yeah. uh, don't don't conflate me talking about the first one with me propping up the others in general that said i'm pretty excited for matrix four matrix four? Oh yeah <laughs> anyway continuing with the podcast all right um, <laughs> we'll discuss this later sir <laughs> uh so we we kind of skipped over before we got out of the elevator we were skipping forward to that that moment that scene but we do mention ephraim a little bit um i wish ephraim were here and uh holiday says back well i'm not ephraim to trick who do you think he is i'm assuming it's an orange it seems like uh someone uh, obviously someone that they're fond with so i'm thinking it's probably an orange because of like oranges are engineers right so somebody that deals with somebody who would be able to fix a broken elevator sure probably an orange makes sense but the fondness that they speak of them with, I'm assuming it's an orange that's a part of the Sons of Ares from Earth specifically. They all grew yeah. up together or around each other. That's my thought. <sighs> okay. Okay. Makes sense to me. Well, we'll count that as your prediction right here. We'll talk about it next episode, though, or whenever it comes up at whatever point. Maybe it'll be book five. You never know. <laughs> or maybe it won't happen. Or maybe it won't happen at all. And this will just be a dead giveaway. If, dead drop. If anybody like sees our Instagram that's listening to this, I posted a a soundbite from one of our episodes where uh, 
Crossland revealed that he asks me prediction questions that just don't have a resolution. So I'm left floundering looking for resolutions to these questions that he asked me all the goddamn time. Ah, it's super funny. And now I'm mad at him. Super funny. So our characters, after an incredible cinematic scene of violence, including a grenade that turns a man from meat and bone into mist, yep. which is just that's so a, visual and visceral. It's a good it's a, a good quote. Yeah, it's a, it's a great quote. It, it truly like depicts kind of the scene. What does it say? Like a, whomp? Or something Oomph. like that? Yeah. Whomp. Yeah. Whomp. Which kind of gives like a, a dissolving feeling to it. I think like the pH gives it a, a soft like, you know, melt. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. We head out onto the bridge. The bridge. Yes. Chapter six. Victims. And my oh my. So Boy, to explain are there the many. scene. There, there are many victims. There's one particular victim and gets the, no. the bad end of the stick. He does. Trig, in particular, is in charge of defending the group of them, is a little bit slower, uh, running a little bit further behind, and giving covering fire while Holiday and Victra and Darrow are all making their way further back to their eventual escape point. Darrow starts to feel the rumble, of the familiar rumble, of which we later know is a claw, claw drill, but we know that there's kind of this familiarity to it. So he understands what's happening mm-hmm. and holiday gets hit in the lung. Bad, bad times, bad times. She gets, she gets a, like she has a bullet in her lung. Yeah. It, it's a meaty, it, like it's described as meaty, which is yeah. bad for sure. For sure. A bad time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. while all that's happening for any of you, moba players out there Mm -hmm. trig gets caught out of position (laughs) he does yeah he face checked the brush or rather was face face checked someone (laughs) face checked the brush (laughs) but i mean she was over leveled to the point where that didn't matter right right this metaphor has gone on way too long. Uh, uh, yeah, no, we're not <laughs> um, Bingham. So true, true. We can't we're not going to continue funny. this. Yeah, but truly, though, it's super, super terrible, of course. But Aja, I, I love the line. Her long legs reel trin and trig in now. It's one of the saddest sights I've ever seen. You know, that, mm-hmm. that entire thing is like just her. It, it feels like a reverse fisherman. Right. And it just feels like she's like literally being able to like reel her in in particular, getting up to him and just slicing him in half and then him quivering to try to get off the blade. But being split even worse by it as he's sliding down, it is just a disgusting. I I imagined oh. a fish on a skewer. Like a live fish flopping around on a skewer. And it's so sad to see this character that we just mm-hmm. met, who clearly is such a vivid life, just yeah. die. Yep. Like, like you said at the beginning, like we met this pair, yes. And now we've lost this pair already. We have lost this pair. They Party were one chance. They, Let's not downplay no, that. But no, no, no. What I'm saying is the the pair of holiday intrigue, they acted as as a single character they they were symbiotic they were they were very much in sort of the position where they balance each other out and they they brought the best out of of each other even though it was like what two chapters of interacting with them like it 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 was emotional 
like it, it was surprising to me how quickly Pierce Brown was able to dig the emotional claws in for Trigg. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I, I think one of the it's impossible to skip over this and like not talk about the very cinematic nature. We've been talking about this a lot. We have. Um, and I don't I don't know if it's going to disappear as we move through this book. I don't think I don't expect it to. Like, I think the, just his his writing style lends itself to it very, very well. So I, I expect more. Honestly. The nature of conversation that even happens around Trigg's de- death and discardment on on the cliffs lends itself to like a camera following him down as he like disappears into the white mist mm-hmm. split in half a la like Darth Maul. Right. Not not a villain, but like in the same kind of way where it just disappears off camera. But the right. speech that like Aja gives in counterance also fits. And the way that Cassius comes up and is also giving his argument of why they should surrender, given like the, there's no ship that can breach this dome inside of like the the field. There's no way out for you. That that whole conversation, those whole back and forths feel very tight and very cinematic. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And I, I was off off uh, off recording. I was kind of struggling with the justification of why they were just kind of standing there. But in their perspectives, he has nowhere to go. He is he is a cornered rat waiting to be disposed of. So I, I guess it kind of makes sense that they were making it dramatic a little bit and just slowly walking towards him and making sure and taking care to 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 know that they're not going to be damaging the asset that they're trying to recover right which i think is the most important part to them they've already taken down the threat which is holiday there's such hubris to them Mm -hmm. to not even consider that he's been acting as a gold as a red and gold clothing essentially and that the reds that he come from come from underground Mm mm-hmm so. Isn't that kind of a great comeuppance to some degree? Oh, like right absolutely. at the end of this chapter. It's so and then, cool. And then the final line, too, before he like dives off the cliff backwards in a crazy dramatic fashion to Cassius to say, Expect me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just perfect. It it's it's the perfect amount of drama. It's perfect. It's the perfect amount of tension. So our final chapter is only two pages long, two mm. and a half pages long. But it is a brilliant chapter with a lot of world building and description uh, in the form of uh, tools and utilities and like things that are used with uh, within the universe. I, I thought it was really interesting, you know, the way that like the chapter opened up describing this really cool thing called a claw drill. Yeah, I mean, it does describe <laughs> it technically, but do, do you want it? Do you want to hear the way I interpreted the first, like the description of the claw drill, the first time I read through it. Sure. You've played, you've played Super Smash Bros, right? Of course. Think of Master Hand with lava coming out of the tips of his fingers. It's fair. It's That's fair. exactly. <laughs> so that fits, like, the, that fits the description of what they described the claw drill looking like. There is a version in Melee of uh, of Master Hand that is on fire that you can randomly roll. Really? Uh, so many times in which he will actually give did you not a fire know debuff. That. Fun fact. Yeah. Good to know. I think I have to go play Melee. Do I never owned a GameCube, though. Well, you can get it on Switch now. So I don't own a Switch either. I do That's have a Wii, 
So I could just buy it on you GameCube. You can get it on Wii. <laughs> well, it's just the GameCube copy. It fits either in way. way. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Um, but yes, I was very happy to like dig in and read actual descriptions of what the quadril looks like. I think there's still more that I want, but I was very, very satisfied. And also I'm really annoyed with you with arguing with me and fighting with me, knowing that we get more description later. I, I think it actually holds up. So I think that both your <laughs> opinion and my opinion on the, the quadril <laughs> conversations hold up because I think that it's important that I do box with you in those moments. Because oh, no, it's great. Like, I, yeah. I'm asking for nothing less. Like, it, it is something I'm genuinely thanking you for because it, it has made a great mindset and thought process to like go forward forward with very based cool. on based on what i'm thinking so like, i am i am not trying to disparage you in any way of course of course i don't believe you are i i think what's very interesting too on the side of the quad quadrille definition is you, you kind of get this image of like this giant worm a la dune emerging from the ground flaming tongues reaching out from every side digging back down to the earth the sun's flying out they're the bumblebees of this chapter chapter seven and grabbing him and in this brilliant display kind of sacrificing themselves like bumblebees defending the center of the hive the the queens or the soon like the the other mother bees that might become queens down the line soaking the enemy fire to ensure the survival and him being in Ragnar's arms again here is just phenomenal. It's beautiful. This entire section oh, is yeah. brilliantly written. Like Calling him little half. brother. Like, uh, <laughs> just tearing my heart out right at the end. So good. So uh, I think that it's fair to say that Morningstar starts off with an absolute bang as far as this third book goes. Also, just continuing that previous thought process. I'm yeah. glad Ragnar still has bold lettering <laughs> that, yeah that is important to me and uh it makes me happy make make me happy make me that. happy pierce brown no, i i definitely definitely understand definitely uh agree i think it makes him a very strong character on the page innately you know there's just a nature to his speech so mm-hmm. with that we wrap up our first week roundup on Morningstar. I want to say Golden Sun. We're in Morningstar now. So uh, with that, let's go into predictions. We've only got a couple for next week, which we've already talked about a couple, but uh, we'll reiterate them here for you. So I wanted to ask you, what will Adrius's punishment be for losing Darrow and Victra? Well, okay. so I have to come up to bat for Adrius a little bit here in that it's not his fault. He he gave up. You're at bat for the possession. No, all I'm saying is, I don't think this is just, but I think that he will uh, take the place of Darrow on the pre-prepared operating table for dissection. Wow, that's an aggressive ending. I think Octavia is an aggressive person. That's fair. Fair. Okay. All right. So, and she she probably paid a lot to have a really elaborate and very thorough like person to dissect Darrow Zanzibar, right? Yeah. Zanzibar, the carver. Was it? I, I don't remember. And I, I don't can't remember if that, that was that the... name doesn't mean anything anyway, to me. It, it was, so, it was inside the section. We'll skip it. I'm sure it was, yeah. but it doesn't mean anything. 
I'm sure she's already given up the funds. Why give it up for nothing? Let's see what makes makes the jackal tick. True. Literally true. Okay, let's move. Uh, let's move forward. Okay, who is Ephraim? Um, did I? Did we talk about this already? We did. Reiterate okay. The so I, I think it's an orange that Trig and Holiday knew and know from Earth and the Sons of Ares specifically. Fantastic. Sounds good. How is Darrow going to recover? Uh, lots of training and taking less of a frontline role in any sort of like combat or alternatively getting some robot bits and uh, using an exoskeleton okay. to, uh, okay. to kind of maneuver himself. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so final question, what happens next week? Next week as in like the next next chunk of book. Yeah, right, right. Um, yes, that. Well, they're obviously going back down. So I would assume the base of the operation will be Lycos. So I think okay. he's going to Lycos. He's going home. So I you think don't he, think it's that hidden hidden city that they talked about, Tyrannos? I don't recall Tyrannos. Mm, okay. Well. So no. <laughs> okay. Well, I like. No, I, th- I think he. I think he goes to Lycos, and I think he sees his family, and I think everyone in Lycos. I think. I think the Claudrill that came and like rescued him essentially. Is his Claudril. Who? I think it, I think it's the Claudril of the Lycos Township. Excellent. Love it. Love it. So any other anything else that you want to mention about the book? Uh I hate that you added about the book on there because I was gonna talk <laughs> about how much of a dick you are. But uh no, nothing else about the book. I think uh <laughs> I think we're good to keep going Jesus. forward. Wow. <laughs> burn burn me alive. All right. So uh, next week, we will be reading chapter 8 through 12, the second half of part one, Thorns. We're so happy to be actually diving into this book to finally be starting to end this original trilogy. It's crazy, PJ. We are over halfway-ish. We're close. Actually, yeah, we're, we're close. We're, no, we're, we're not. under we're a not. third in page count. <laughs> but we're uh, in the middle of the middle book that's released so far. <laughs> yeah no i mean we're even in release so far we're under a third in page count so uh we get we got a lot of ground to cover anyway it's very exciting to be in this this uh this book and to be moving through this trilogy i'm super excited me too Dude, this <laughs> this has been so cathartic to actually finally be able to read <laughs> Yeah, the resolution, like the 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 continuation of the story that was left off at the end of the book. I hope that nobody else had to deal with what I had to deal with, and was able to go straight from Golden Sun to Morningstar. Or to to be honest, I don't know a single person who wasn't an original reader who had to go through what you had to go through because both Bill, every reader that I know, immediately bridged that gap immediately. <laughs> so i think you'd have to i uh i feel that i understand but i'm happy to be here now and also if any of you are like in this position with us or with me like we we, i I talked about this with with tib last episode i really genuinely didn't expect the like established red rising fan community to like rally behind us a little bit 
but I'm sure there are people like me who don't read a lot and are, are using this sort of as a means of reading, which is part of what made me want to do this beyond getting myself to read more, but also having it out there for other people to read more. And if, if you're in my camp, um, I'd love to hear from you, first of all. And second of all, I'm, uh, I'm happy I'm not alone in this, if, if you do exist. Well, there's, there's no question that those exist. What's no, super but interesting. we don't know if they're listening. <laughs> well, we, uh, all, all of our, all of our interaction, that. all of our interaction so far on social media has been with people that are already like well-entrenched. This is the true. Fandom. Shout out to a boy named Dan Gottwalt, who's reading along with us this whole time. One of Bingham's buddies has been listening to every show, reading along every week, specifically to trace your steps. So there, there has been more than one, but that is the one that Techn- I am most, technically most one of our, aware of. One of our good friends, Natalie. She, Natalie she's well. in, yes, she's in the same doubt, boat. Without a doubt. That's yes. true. She's I think she's a week behind right now or two weeks behind, but she's catching up. She just had a kid. So, like, yeah, we'll give her a she, break. Yeah, we'll give her a pass. But my point Regardless. still stands like I, I, yeah. I really genuinely never, never thought that our main appeal would be people already in love with the series. And that's by no means a bad thing, but it just never crossed my mind. So, of course, so, sorry to bring that up again. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. I think it's a great point to talk about. So next week, we'll be reading chapters 8 through 12, the second half of part one, Thorns. So we're, we're finishing part one. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, well, I think so. I'm pretty am sure I, that's Am I reading one. until it says part two? No, I think, well, at the very least until chapter 12, but I think that that's the point. Let me double check. You're making me question it. I'm I'm just curious because yes, that would yep, make yep, yep yep part two part two is called rage. Okay, so read until it says rage. Yep, read until rage. Okay, pretty sure I broke each part into halves. All for, right, uh, for each book. So Sounds anyway, good. so that's where we're going to leave you for the week. Continue to refer us to your friends or anyone else that you think would like this book series. Of course. We would love to have them on board. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or whatever platform you use, Google Play. We will be having YouTube officially for two weeks out from the formalization of our publication of every previous episode and then every episode going forward. So we, we had a lot of work going into this um, and mm-hmm. we're, we're very excited to uh, to have you all on whatever platform is most convenient. We're, we're also excited to have a YouTube channel. Not that we have anything set in stone yet, but I'd like to start putting together like videos about the the creation of the cocktails that we have on the show. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um so we might we might do something like that if you have other ideas of will. things we could put on. I think I think I think we will. I think we've talked yeah. about it enough. But if there's anything you'd like to see a video sort of format of we're not going to we're not going to do a video format of the show because it's just Cross and I talking and there's no need for it. If there's anything else you'd like to see video of that relates to this show that we could put on YouTube, let us know um, and we'll 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 talk about putting stuff together. I think I think that opens us up to a lot more content that we have the ability to create. So, yeah, if you have ideas, feel free. Also, as uh, as PJ always mentioned, mentions, check out our website and our socials. 
Very important. I also want to give a shout out to the members of the back half of our team. We are the two front facing members. We have two back team members who do a ton of work for us. We have Andrew, who we've talked about a number of times. And we also have Tim, who is our back end engineer for the website. Andrew being our audio engineer, Tim doing all of our web and all of our deployment across all of the various podcast networks from uh, from all the work he's done. So shout out to both of them. They deserve all kinds of praise. And if you enjoy what we're doing, shout us out on any social media, anywhere else. We'll connect with you. We'll talk with you. We'll chat because that's what we like doing. Absolutely. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, we'll hear, you'll hear us next week. We won't see oh, you. Shit. You're right. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs>